Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Good morning. Like Rob said, my name is Kristen, and I get to serve on staff here at Eastern Hills. And I am so excited to be able to spend a few minutes with you all today. I haven't been up here for quite some time, so I'm hoping that the feeling will come back into my arms in a few moments. But usually I get to host up here in person. I've been on the screen for quite some time, so I'm really grateful to be here with you today. Happy Mother's Day! I know we've said it a few times, but can we just give everyone in the room who's a mom or a caretaker a round of applause? You know, I know that this day is really exciting for so many people sitting in this room because we're moms and I'm a mom myself and I know that it's a wild gig and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but I also know that there's a lot of you sitting here today or engaging online that might not have yet been able to become a mom and that's really hard. And I know that there are many people here who have lost their moms or their mother-in-laws or their mother figure. I lost my mom six years ago, or my mother-in-law, sorry, six years ago uh, today. She passed away on Mother's Day, and we grieve her every day. I know that there are moms sitting in this room who have lost children. And I know that there are dads sitting in this room who have lost their wives. And now they're serving in the role of mom and dad, and that's really hard. And so today we celebrate, but we also recognize that there's loss, there's grief, and there's conflict. And sometimes that conflict can lead to conflict within our family, but even within ourselves. And so today, we're going to dive into what James has to say about conflict, and we're going to figure out how to function within our families when we are fighting with each other, but also, and more so, within ourselves. So let's pray. God, I'm just grateful for uh, the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with my friends here today, and I ask that you would bless each and every moment together this morning. In your name, amen. So as I mentioned today, we are continuing on in our series, Our Imperfect Family. I hope that you guys have enjoyed the past few weeks. We listened to Steve, uh, and then we listened to Wendell. And Steve shared a lot of great things about cakes, which we'll talk about soon, and Wendell had wonderful things to say about the decisions that we make. And so today, like I said, we're going to continue on, and we have our series thesis here when uh, we don't have a choice in the matter, but the choices we make as a family matter. No pressure, right? One thing common to every family is conflict, and so today, James is going to help us figure out how to deal with this thing that all of our families face. And years ago, he said this in James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You know, something that's interesting about James's family is that he was the half-brother of Jesus. Imagine the internal conflict when your half-brother claims that he is God. There might be a little bit of competition there, a little bit of doubt, right? Well, my brothers never have claimed to be the risen king, but I have figured out a way to have plenty of internal conflict regardless. And perhaps you have too. But you might think that I might not have the same struggles as you. You might think that the person sitting next to you doesn't recognize what you're going through, doesn't resonate with the argument you had with your spouse on the way to church this morning, or how hard it was to get your children to wear the clothes that you had picked out for them. But I do. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. 
I was raised in a Christian home with two brothers. I went to a small Christian school on the south side of Syracuse where my own children now attend. I graduated and went on to attend a small Christian liberal arts college on the North Shore of Boston, Gordon College. It was there that I played lacrosse and I nannied in my spare time. Um, Following graduation, I briefly worked at Fidelity Investments and I found myself a little bit bored and so I came home to run the family business. Duncan, you can put up a picture of my family so that everyone can see. Okay, so this is my brother, my mom, my dad, my sister-in-law, and my older brother at my wedding. It was there that I worked at our family business where I met my husband, Ian. We got married on 1111. It was a Saturday. And then we went on to have three children of our own. We have Crew, who's seven, Chloe, who is six, and Trip, who is, uh, he just turned three, actually. Everything seems fine, right? Oh, how cute. Those pictures are so cute, right? Perfect family, no problems. Everything was easy. So let me tell you my story again. I was raised in a Christian home. Hello to mom and dad. They came to listen today, and I'm grateful. And when I shared with my mom that I was asked to talk about conflict today, she said, oh, do you want dad and I to come on stage and serve as a real-life illustration? (laughs) There's conflict, right? I went to a small Christian school on the south side of Syracuse where I ended up dating a guy in high school well into college, way longer than I should have, but he had so much potential. Conflict. After graduation, I stayed in Boston. I lived, in, um, I lived by Tufts University. I worked in my first corporate job in Cambridge, and I could not possibly figure out who I was or what I wanted to do, and so I moved home and I began running our family's business. But there's never any conflict in a family-owned business in the restaurant industry, right? <laughs> Easy. What could be hard? I ran what I called the shop until my second child, mine and Ian's second child, Chloe, came on the scene. And I had to step down because I was so overwhelmed by her needs. Chloe was a very complicated baby. She was born on March 22nd via emergency C-section. And as many of you know, she's a total gift to us all today. But when she came, she could fit in the palm of my hand. Six weeks after she was born, six years ago today, like I mentioned, my mother-in-law passed away. Loss, grief, conflict. Ian and I went on to welcome our third child into our family. His name is Trip. Everything was great until he was 15 weeks old, and we found ourselves in the bowels of Krauss in the middle of the night. He needed an, uh, gastrointestinal surgery. The next week, he healed, of course, and I sent him off to daycare, which was very difficult. I returned back to work here at Eastern Hills after my maternity leave. Crew went to kindergarten in a new school, and we found out that Chloe needed a succession of four surgeries and would be in a uh, body cast for 15 weeks. Loss, grief, conflict. As soon as Chloe made it through her surgeries and began to walk again, she went back to school for four days, and then the pandemic hit. We then sustained what some call a church split here at Eastern Hills. And while we sit here today with so much wonderful things going on, we've come so far, that pretty much brings us to where we are, conflict. Throughout the history of my life, I've had so many plans and so many desires. Have they turned out 
exactly how I wanted them to? No. And I bet you've had those plans and desires too. I also am sure that you've been let down somewhere along the way. And I bet when you feel like things are hard or actually quite devastating, you wrestle within your soul. But I'm sure that you wrestle with God too. We don't all handle conflict the same way, but we all have it, right? And when it's in our families, it looks differently. Some of us sulk. I'll be sitting over here until you come find me. Some of us are screamers that may or may not be me, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Emotions come out in anger, right? We have pretenders and stuffers. Everything's fine. It's going to be okay. I'll just ignore it. Peacemakers, I can't bear to live with strife around me, so let's fix this now. And then we have litigators. Arguing helps me to externally process. So let's do that until I feel better. We all have different responses. And today we're going to talk about that conflict we keep talking about and how it exists within our souls and how we can manage that. So again, we refer to James. He asks, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Some of you are looking at the person next to you and saying, well, it's not me. One of the reasons we struggle to resolve relational problems is that we don't know why we fight and quarrel to begin with. To which you might be tempted to say, well, I know why. He drives me crazy. He doesn't listen. My roommate is so irresponsible. My boss micromanages me. My neighbor's yard is a mess. My kids are so sassy. Or maybe if we're honest, it's because we're irritable or we're heartbroken or we're overwhelmed, and it spills out of us on everyone around us. Internal arguments always lead to external angst, and oftentimes it's in the midst of these external arguments that we lose sight of our inner struggles. They become about the person that we're having a discussion with. I don't know about you guys, but most of the time when I'm arguing with my children or my spouse, I'm having an external, we'll call it a discussion, But my internal struggles are way more combative than what I'm actually saying sometimes on the outside. Now, not always, but a lot of times they are. I say things to myself like, oh, you got to stop yelling. You should stop yelling. You really should. Um, Or don't say that. Don't say that. Or, oh, Kristen, you're a terrible mother. You're a mean wife. You lack talent, ability, the whole nine yards. What does it sound like for you? Because I know you have those thoughts, too. Maybe you argue with yourself because of your lack of discipline. Or maybe you yell at yourself when you find where you are on the corporate ladder. Maybe it's not where you had hoped. Perhaps you make fun of your uh, lack of deep relational connection. Or maybe you're a mom who is really, really hard on yourself. You never feel like you do or say the right things. You worry about your children constantly and your effort You worry about the way that you're going to affect them. You worry about your lack of effectiveness. And so often, these tumultuous thoughts we have inside of our heads, they tend to change how we live amongst everybody else, don't they? But until we fix what's going on inside of us, we won't be able to fix what's going on outside of us. In James 4, he takes us to the heart of our relational struggles and unhappiness. And he asks, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Desires and pleasures that wage war because they are unmet. An internal conflict that we can't contain. 
We get stressed out when our life doesn't look the way that we had planned or that we had hoped. And that battle, once again, it spills all over them. You desire, but you do not have. You long for something that goes unfulfilled. We want something, but we don't get it. And so you kill. Isn't it interesting that the people that we hurt the most are always, typically, the ones that are closest to us? With our words, we can shred someone's self-worth, and we can hurt them so deeply that something within them dies. No matter what you say later, you can't remove what you said prior. Sometimes this comes from broken relationship, but a lot of times it comes from, like James says, unmet expectations. A couple of years ago, we had an extra challenging day in the Cuthbert household. I have three children, like I mentioned, and my oldest was having a really difficult day. There was anything but harmony in our home. By the time the afternoon had rolled around, things had really unraveled. Have you ever tried to fix something and fix something and fix something, and you just keep using words, and none of it is working, and it just gets worse and worse? Well, that was me, and that was our day. So things had completely unraveled, and uh, it was we were in just such a state... <laughs> And I don't know if we were ever going to get back to where we needed to be. Um, and in a moment of hopelessness, and then this is me being extra honest with you. Do you know what I said to my, he was probably five or six at the time. Do you know what I said to him? No, you can't judge me and promise you'll let me still work here if I, t okay. <laughs> I told him I could kill you. I just was so angry. And I said it and it came out of my mouth. And as it, soon as it landed on him, I was horrified. That came from inside of me, and I could not believe it. And you know what? He asks me from time to time if I would do it. And so, of course, that makes me feel horrible, and the guilt keeps going and going. In that moment, he wasn't doing for me what I wanted him to do. It was a day full of issues, and it was hard, and I was tired, and it was the end of the day. I desired, but I did not have. My emotions were running so high, and if I had been better able to take a check, regulate myself, understand what was going on inside of me, I wouldn't have spilled such terrible and unforgettable words on him. I wanted so badly for him to stop what he was doing, and I was using my words and yelling him to try to get him to conform. We covet. We're intensely focused on something we want. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's well-behaved children. Or maybe it's a child of your own. But we can't get what we want. We're never satisfied, so our tendency is to try to squeeze happiness out of our circumstances or even out of the people that are closest to us. But we're not always in control, and so we might become angry or bitter or sad. And you know what I said after, or you know what happened after I said those words to Crew? I got, even, got into an even bigger argument with myself. A dialogue that lasted for days. I was the worst. Why don't I have more control over my tongue? Oh, Kristen, you are completely and wholly ruining, ruining him forever. Why don't you give up your job and give it to somebody else? And I know that you parents have had those same thoughts. But isn't that what Satan wants? Doesn't he love when we mess up so that he can get right in there and render us completely ineffective? He wants us to walk away. I was wrong. There is no doubt about that. 
But when it comes to reconciliation, there is zero chance for it unless we stay in the game. And isn't that what God wants? Colossians says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Um, that you and I argue with ourselves in our minds is, and also with each other is simply our sin nature. But the good news is that God sent his son to save us from ourselves. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is what I love about the gospel. It's real and it's living and it creeps into all those little moments throughout the day when you need it the most. It's not some once and done event or a finite gift given at a moment in time. It's a dynamic game changer. In those moments when we can't possibly right our wrong, we cannot take back those words that we said, that's when he swoops in with grace. The gospel reminds us that we are not defined by our failures or those moments when we put our foot in our mouths. But it also calls us to reconciliation. The gospel is, saying, is me saying to my seven-year-old, my then five or six-year-old, I have made a mess. I'm sorry I said that to you. I was really, really wrong. But I need Jesus. And man, I'm glad I have him so that he can forgive me and help me to be better next time. And you need Jesus too. The gospel is the promise of grace. He tends to weave it in and out of our day where there are moments of heartbreak and of loneliness because he wants, through his grace, to refresh us with his promises. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He wants to give us respite, but in order for us to find that, we need to go to him. That verse in Colossians earlier, do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So you might be sitting there thinking, okay, all right, so you say that I need Jesus. Maybe. He shows up in everyday moments, okay. But what does it actually look like to feel refreshed by him? How about when I'm utterly devastated? or numb from loss. I know I find that challenging. Do you? James goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Have you ever poured out your heart to your heavenly Father? Just, not just prayed, but poured out your heart like you pour out your frustrations on those around you and your disappointment, your grief. Feeling refreshed by him is a quiet confidence in knowing his plans for you. Knowing that life may not have panned out the way that you had hoped, but trusting that he is good. I can't say for sure if my testimony about my daughter Chloe would be the same had her outcome been different. The day we found out something was terribly wrong, I was very far along in my pregnancy. I sat in a cold exam room on a Thursday afternoon 
and they said the words to me that you never want to hear. I got home, and my husband's best friend, who is a geneticist, common occupation, I know, was sitting on our sofa with my husband. He walked us through what we could expect, and he said, not all hope was lost, but chances were not good that things would turn out the way we wanted. But they did. We never stopped praying, and God certainly answered our prayers. Like I mentioned earlier, Chloe was born via emergency C-section on a Tuesday afternoon after a two-hour appointment appointment at the perinatal center that went terribly wrong. They told us to head right up to Kraus, and she was out like that. She scored a 9 out of 9 on her APGAR, and her pediatrician quite literally said, I'm sure she's a miracle. And every single day we are so grateful that God chose us, chose to give us what we asked for. This is Chloe now. But how about the times that he doesn't? It's so much harder to hold on to hope when that happens, right? Oftentimes we feel like we've been cheated, like we've drawn the short end of the stick. We compare our lives with the lives of others. We covet for what we do not have. For those of you who do not know Fred and Denise Santucci, they are two amazing people here at Eastern Hills. My life has been immensely touched by them and their story. And I know so many of you have been touched by their story as well. They tend to live out this message of hope in hard times. I'd like to invite Denise to the stage, who as a mother has experienced tremendous loss, but through Christ, she's found tremendous hope. Hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy Mother's Day. Same to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good morning, everyone. So Fred and I have been attending Eastern Hills for many years. We were married over uh, at Enders in 1989. We have three children uh, who grew up here. Uh, involved in various ways, uh, youth group, uh, mission trips, uh, and served in different aspects of day-to-day uh, -day here at Eastern Hills. Actually, our son Freddie and daughter-in-law Daphne, who just moments ago dedicated Eva and Ellie, our grandbabies, um, met here at youth group 15 years ago and fell in love. Daphne's family is here with us today, as many of our family members and I think we can all pretty safely say we're grateful for EHBC Youth Group. So I guess Eastern Hills has been a big part of you raising your family. Sure, sure. Our daughter Susan was also uh, involved in youth group and sang on the worship team uh, and made great friends here. Uh, she now lives in Philadelphia with her husband Christopher. And our son Stephen um, was dedicated here as a baby, went all through Promised Land, which uh, is now called EHBC Kids, uh, served in various ways, uh, but mostly he loved uh, hanging out in Promised Land with those kids years later. Uh, he had such a great time with them. And I know that your family has gone through some difficult times. Do you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us today? Sure. So many of you know, but about four years ago, our son Stephen went home to be with the Lord. Shortly after a surgery, that was meant to repair his aorta. He suffered from a tissue disorder that we were unaware of um, till about a year or so before he had passed away. 
He was 18 years old, had graduated from Faith Heritage School, and was on his way to Syracuse University's Whitman School of Business. He was a remarkable young man. He was. And I know from spending um, a good amount of time with you and Mr. Santucci that this has been really difficult. Absolutely. No doubt the most difficult thing Fred and I and our children uh, have experienced. I know there are many families here who have also experienced the death of a child. Grief and loss of any kind can be so hard. Our family has dealt with a great deal of loss. Uh, in the years leading up to Stephen's death, my mom, two of my three sisters, and my dad all passed away just within a year or so of one another. It gives me great comfort to know that each of them, including Stephen, had placed their faith in Jesus while here on earth, and I'm grateful for that. I've watched you walk through these last couple of years, and while I know that it's been incredibly difficult, I also see you do it with such hope and purpose. How can that be? As for my grief, it's crazy hard, as I'm sure any of you who are dealing with it know. And I'm not sure that the sadness will ever really go away. But what I am sure of is that he desires to comfort us, to guide us, and to walk with us through these difficult times. I can remember the moment Stephen died. We were in the hospital room with him. And the moment that he passed away, I had this incredible sense of awe, awe in the power of God and awe that this powerful God is the same God that had given Stephen to me just short teen, short, a short 18 years before. In the difficult days and weeks that passed, this awe feeling didn't leave me, and I had a choice to make. For me, it wasn't a choice of whether I believed in God or in his goodness or in his power. For me, the choice was, am I going to trust him? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I needed to trust him. Trust him with Stephen's life. Trust him with Stephen's death. Trust him with the remainder of my life and with the lives of my family. This was not a one-time decision, and there are times... I need to make this decision multiple times a day. So my advice would be to trust him. Find a way to trust him with your loss, with your fear of loss, and with your family. And if you don't have this kind of relationship with Jesus, where you can trust him with your life, I encourage you, talk to someone you know who has, or meet someone around here, because I promise you, as you find ways to trust him, he will make your path straight. You talk about the necessity of making the choice to trust him, sometimes multiple times a day. And I can imagine that being so tiring. But I can also imagine that that is difficult because you're making the, that decision when maybe those in your circle, in your family, in your world, are not making it at the same time, and then they're making that decision, and maybe you're not making it at the same time. Can you talk about how that affects your relationships? Sure. Grief is a tricky thing, and it looks different for each of us. And the waves of grief come on us at different times. 
I've had to learn to give room to those I love as they do me. This can be hard on a relationship, especially with a husband and a wife. Fred and I grieve differently, so giving each other room has been an important part of this journey. I'm grateful that we're both able to go to the Lord with our pain and trust him with it, so we're not putting undue expectations on one another. I'm also very grateful for the many practices that we had put in place years before Stephen had died, like reading together, reading God's word, praying, and for just being with people that love us and care for us. And so many of you are here today. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. One more thing. Uh, I have a great devotional and a couple of best practices that I'd love to share with you. I'll be down in front after service today, or feel free to call the church office and get my number. I'd love to connect with you. Thank you for sharing so openly and honestly. Can we give Denise a hand? So those internal dialogues, they can wage war against the promises of God. They wage war against what he says about you, and they wage war against what he says about me. They can be a barrier to living out the truth in our lives that he wants us to. And just like Denise said, she knew she had to make an adjustment when it came to letting her loved ones grieve by giving them space to do so. But that adjustment would never have come unless she made the choice to trust God with her life, with Stephen's life, and with the life of her family. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what troubles you? What do you think about? What keeps you up at night? What happens when you have monumental loss? or when your world is rocked? What do you fight about, wrestle with, obsess over that might be impeding you from living out the calling that he has for you? You may think that perfection in parenting is not a big deal. You may argue that comparison of your life with your neighbors has no bearing on your calling. That maybe your internal arguments are quiet and private and personal. So there's no way that they keep you from living or leading or learning the things that God has for you. If the one thing that we are called to do is to point others to Jesus, then why don't we do that for ourselves? Shouldn't we put up boundaries when it comes to talking about ourselves? how we see ourselves and how we measure our effectiveness so that we can see him and hear him and walk with him. So when we find ourselves in conflict, what do we do? First, we look inside. We need to reconcile with ourselves. What am I feeling right now? Am I angry? What do I need to do to heal? What should I work on and work through so that I can let it go? Unless we take time to process our emotions, we won't be able to lean into them and certainly not move on from them. Next, we run to him. 
Like Denise said, we have to make that decision to turn towards him. To trust him is an intentional choice and many times we need to make it multiple times a day. Next, we repent of our sins and we release our expectations. What can we lay at the foot of the cross and move on from? What can we ask God to help us let go of? And lastly, of course, we need to restore our relationships. We tell those around us about our self-examination. We bring them along the journey, as painful as that can be. Reconcile with others and tell them, I am angry because I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated because I'm not getting what I want. You go and you seek out reconciliation. And like Denise said, we shift our expectations. We apologize. We reconcile with those around us who sometimes experience the result of our inner struggles, of our turmoil and our disappointments. And we make it a habit of taking all of our unmet expectations to the only one who can do anything about them anyway. It's in our humanity where we meet Jesus. He bled and died because of our flesh. And if we had no gaps, he never would have had to come to fill them in. So when we try to overcome our humanity on our own, we're choosing to decline his gift of sovereignty, of redemption, and of freedom. When we try on our own to overcome our shortcomings, we deny that he ever came to save us. Oftentimes, the source of our external conflict is an undetected internal conflict that's raging out of control. Our willingness to acknowledge this, to unpack it, to work through it, could revolutionize our relationships. It will enable us to quit blaming others and ourselves for our frustrations, our discontent, and our shattered hearts. Surrendering ourselves and our hopes, our dreams, our expectations to the one who knows is what he knows what's best for us. That will enable us to live the life of freedom that he gave his life for us to have. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for your plans, even when it is incredibly difficult for us to see you in the midst of our heartbreak our thwarted plans, you are good. Give us the stamina and the tenacity to lean into our internal dialogues, to recognize where we need healing and when to revel in your love. Help us to do the work so that we can live a life of freedom in your grace. Amen. Can we say thank you to Kristen for sharing her story this morning? I'm going to invite the, the band to come back up on stage at this point. And as they do, you know, something that Kristen shared this morning that really resonated with me personally. She said, when it comes to reconciliation, there's zero chance for it unless we stay in the game. Sometimes reconciliation looks like things that you're wrestling with with yourself. Sometimes it's with other people. But I can tell you whether it's with yourself or other people, the first step is reconciliation with Jesus. It's being right with him. And the only way that's possible is by placing our faith in him and him alone. And once we're reconciled with him, moving forward and towards reconciliation, 
is a journey that's so worth it because of how God shows up along the way. I got a chance to reconnect with a friend that I haven't seen in a couple years this week. And, uh, you know, sometimes you go through stuff in life and it's, it's good how God provides people in the right time. I'd be honest, if I'm being honest, um, you know, there are times for me personally, you think about the whole game concept of uh, maybe the game's come to an end. You know, maybe it's, it's time to just try something different. But he shared some very encouraging words with me personally in that maybe, maybe it's just halftime. Maybe God's not done with you yet. And so, Eastern Hills, I got to be honest, I don't think it's going to get easier, this world that we're living in. And I've spent a lot of time reading through the New Testament. And as I read it, I see conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict after conflict. And all of that is endurable because of the conflict that was resolved on the cross. Christianity is the only answer to suffering in the world. Religion does not have an answer, but the gospel does. And so whatever you brought in with you this morning, whatever your pain is, whatever your struggles are, my invitation is that as we sing this next song, that the words would be true for you. That I am who God says I am. I am not my failures. I am not my hurts. I am not my habits or hang-ups. I'm not defined by those moments that I got it wrong. I'm defined by who I am in Christ Jesus. And so as we stand this morning to our feet, let us declare that. And as we receive this offering, we don't give because we have to. We give because so many people in this world need to hear this message of hope. Because every single day, we're surrounded by people that are going through loss and are grieving and broken. And they're saying, what is the answer to this? And the answer is Jesus. And we get to partner with him in that. Let's stand to our feet this morning and declare our praise to the risen God. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.